And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you once again this morning and ask you to be here with us in this place and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, if you're not into yoga, if you have half a brain, if you like making love at midnight in the dunes of the Cape, I'm the love that you've looked for. Write to me and escape. No doubt many of you will recognize those lyrics uh, from Rupert Holmes' 1979 classic, Escape, parentheses, the Pina Colada song. I love, by the way, just as an aside, that he knew that there was no way that song was going to be referred to as anything but the Pina Colada song, even if he wanted it to be called Escape. So he went ahead and called it Escape, parentheses, the Pina Colada song. Good thinking there, Rupert. Now, if you haven't heard that song, first of all, that's incredible. Um, I don't know where you've been. But if you haven't heard it, or just haven't heard it in a while, it's a song sung by a guy who is bored with his wife. And this is the first verse. It goes like this. I was tired of my lady. We'd been together too long. Like a worn-out recording of a favorite song. So while she lay there sleeping, I read the paper in bed. And in the personals column, there was this letter I read if you like pina coladas, and so on. So the guy's sitting in bed, reading the newspaper personal ads next to his sleeping wife. Classy guy, right? And he comes across an ad that he likes, that he's intrigued by, and so he writes a response. He says he does like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, and he suggests that they meet up. And so... A few verses later, he goes to the bar where they're planning to meet, and that's when we get the third verse, which goes like this. So I waited with high hopes. Then she walked in the place. I knew her smile in an instant. I knew the curve of her face. It was my own lovely lady, and she said, oh, it's you. And we laughed for a moment, and I said, I never knew. That you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. That's all I'm going to do. You see, it was her the whole time. It was his own lovely lady. And apparently the fact that they're both trying to cheat on each other was no big deal. They have a quick laugh about it and live happily ever after. This is the wonderful world of 1970s pop music. But it's the twist of the song that I want to talk to you about this morning. The idea that the thing that we're so desperately seeking, that we're spending all of our energy searching for, is actually right there with us the whole time. And don't worry, I have an example from a movie too. This is 
For instance, the entire plot of the John Hughes film, Some Kind of Wonderful. You've seen this. Eric Stoltz is the star of this movie, and he's best friends with Mary Stuart Masterson. And he's in love, though, with Leah Thompson, the most beautiful and most popular girl in school. And so he enlists his friend, Mary Stuart Masterson, to help him woo Leah Thompson. And of course, if you watched a movie in the 80s, you know that by the end of the film, he realizes it's not Leah Thompson he's in love with, but it's, of course, Mary Stuart Masterson, who is perfect for him and who has been there the whole time if he had only opened his eyes enough to see. Now, this is also, we might say, unfortunately, the plot of too many a Christian life. Now, it's not that I think so many of you are here this morning searching for alternate lovers or trying to hook up with the most popular girl or boy in school, church, or work, but I do think that all of us, you, me, everyone, I do think that we spend almost all, if not all, of our time and energy searching, seeking. And down deep, we're searching for the same kinds of things that the characters in the Pina Colada song and some kind of wonderful are searching for. We're searching for rescue, for liberation, for salvation. The guy in the song wants to be rescued from his boring marriage. Eric Stoltz wants to be rescued from loneliness or from his station as a social outcast. I want to be rescued from the pressure of providing well for my family. Your pressures, the things that you want to be rescued from, can take an infinite number of forms. Maybe it's the feeling that you're unattractive or overweight or the worry that you have no worth or standing in your social circle. We all have things from which we want to be rescued, from which we feel we need to be saved. These are often the last things that we think about before we go to sleep at night, things about us that we wish were different. And we spend our lives searching, seeking for the thing we think will make it all better. We all are searching for rescue. Now, we Christians know that if we are to be rescued, God is the one who has to do it, right? He's the lifeguard who has to pull us out of the turbulent surf of our lives. But we find ourselves wondering, how is he going to decide who to rescue? If everyone is struggling, everyone is drowning, how is he going to look out at the ocean of all of us and decide who to save? And we've gotten it into our heads, I think, that he's going to save those people who please him, those people who make him happy. Or if we don't believe that really, maybe we think that if we are currently in the process of being rescued by God, we need to make ourselves pleasing as the rescue is happening so that our lifeguard doesn't maybe drop us right back into the roiling, shark-infested waves below. And we come by these thoughts honestly. I mean, they're in the Bible. Look at our sermon we heard from Peter in Acts chapter 10. He says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. 
But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is all about pleasing God. God doesn't care what nation you're from. What he cares about is if you fear him and if you do what is right. St. Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 8 about pleasing the Lord. I'll start reading in uh, verse 5. This is Romans 8, verse 5. He says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And then the kicker. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So we have a pretty clear dichotomy that's being set up here, right? Some people live according to the Spirit. In other words, fearing the Lord and doing what is acceptable to him, and some live according to the flesh, not submitting to God's law, not pleasing God. Better be sure to live according to the Spirit, right? St. Paul makes it even clearer in Romans chapter 2, and this is from verse 13. He could not spell it out any more clearly than this. He says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. This makes all the sense in the world to us, right? It's not hearing the rules that make you pleasing to God. It's actually doing what the rules say that make you pleasing to God. I tell my children this seemingly every five minutes, right? It's not just knowing what I want you to do. You actually have to do what I want you to do. St. Paul says, it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. In other words, those who please God will be declared righteous. Those who please God will be rescued. Now this is a heavy weight to bear. And you can almost hear the corollary, right? The sort of negative side of this image. Those who please God will be rescued. Thumbs up. But the other side of that is those who don't please God won't be. It's a little less pleasing to hear. Those who please God will be rescued. Those who don't please God will be condemned. So get to work, right? Well, we do. We do get to work. That's what we do. First, we try as best we can to rescue ourselves. And this doesn't, this sort of lifestyle doesn't break itself down by Christian or non-Christian. Everybody does this all the time. We try to rescue ourselves from whatever our situation is. We read the personal ads in bed. We try to get the most beautiful girl in school. We try to get a better, high-paying job to more adequately care for our families. We try to lose weight. We try to be first, best, more than, greater than. We try to be anything 
to rescue ourselves from the situations of our lives. And many times we Christians simply redirect this work. We know that God is the rescuer, and so we try to please him. We work to please God. We know that if he's the rescuer, we maybe should make ourselves the most rescuable people that we can be. Or maybe we think that if he is rescuing us, we should make ourselves the most thankful rescuees ever. You definitely want to rescue me, God. Look how much money I'm giving to the church. Look how faithfully I've come to Bible study. Or wasn't it a good decision to rescue me, God? Look how often I read my Bible. Look how infrequently I now visit those certain websites, gambling parlors, etc. Now, we would probably never say these things out loud or even think them consciously, but when we wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and the surf of our lives is getting rough and we think about why the rescuer rescues. Our human nature often leads us to this place of thinking that the rescuer rescues those who please him, that God saves those who please him. After all, didn't Paul say so? Those who obey the law will be declared righteous. Those who please God will be rescued. And the terrifying corollary we added, and those who do not, will be condemned. And the bad news is that this is completely true. Those who please God will be rescued. To be called righteous, you must please God. But there's a wrinkle. And the wrinkle is good news. In fact, the wrinkle is incredible news. And it comes to us this morning in the story of Jesus' baptism. Because when John the Baptist raises Jesus up out of the water and the heavens are opened and the Spirit of God comes down and alights on Jesus, a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, the Beloved with whom I am well pleased. God is pleased. Those who please God will be rescued, and those who don't please God will be condemned. Listen to Paul again in Romans 8, this time starting at verse 1, where he says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Jesus is this sin-offering 
for us. You see, we can't please God. That's what Paul is saying when he says that Jesus did what the law was powerless to do. We give you, we give ourselves a rule book, and we find that the presence of the rule book doesn't actually give us the capability of keeping the rules, right? Just because I tell my kids what the rules are doesn't necessarily mean they have the ability to follow the rules. So Jesus comes and accomplishes and actually does what the law required. And we are said to be in Christ Jesus. And how does God feel about Christ Jesus, about his son, the beloved? He is well pleased. What about all that stuff about obeying the law? Paul said that only those who obey the law will be declared righteous. Here are Jesus' own words from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. No. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus fulfills fulfilled the law. Jesus pleases God. And then Jesus gives that pleasing of God to us, to you, to me. It's why he came. He says, do not think I have come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus accomplished what the law required and gave those accomplishments to us. That thing that we seek after so desperately, that thing that we spend all of our energy looking for, rescue, value, God's pleasure, it is already ours. It has been right here the whole time. God has been well pleased with his faithful son since eternity. And he announced it publicly on earth 2,000 years ago. It is done. It is finished. Jesus Christ shouted it from the cross with his final breaths. It is finished. God is pleased. I have bad news. Only those who please God are saved. I have incredible news. Jesus has pleased Almighty God and has decided that God's pleasure is his gift to you. You have been rescued, not because of anything you've done, are doing, or will ever do. You have been rescued on account of what Jesus has done for you. 2,000 years ago, Almighty God looked at his newly 
baptized son and said, I love him. With him, I am well pleased. Today, he looks at you, clothed in Christ, given Christ's own righteousness, the recipient of Christ's own goodness, and says, because of my son, I love you. With you, yes, even you, I am well pleased. Amen.